You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. My name is Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here. Last Sunday, we um, kicked off a two-part message series where we're looking at please and thank you. Last Sunday, we looked at please, and we saw how saying please for us as adults, really the attitude behind it, it's not, not, not that we have to say the word, but the attitude behind it is a recognition that we are dependent upon God. And because we're dependent on God, that means that we can go through life really with two choices. We can either say to God, I've got this, I'm good, I can do this all on my own. Or we can recognize our need and then ask God for help as we go through life and put in work in the places where we're putting in work. So that's what we talked about last week as we talked about please. Today, we're going to dive into thank you. Now, thank you is something that my wife and I, we work hard to teach our kids to say thank you. And there's a couple different reasons behind this. We want our kids to be polite. We want our kids to recognize when someone else has done something for them, done something kind that they didn't deserve. And so we want them to say thank you. And one of the kids, one of the things that our kids struggle with, with this um, saying thank you, is they wrestle with the question, what if it's not good? What if I don't like what the other person gave me? Like, you know, when, when our kids sit down for dinner and there are Brussels sprouts on the table, you know, they really wrestle with this. Do I have to say thank you if I don't think the meal is good? Or, you know, birthdays. We've had to prep talk or pep talk some of our kids before. We said, okay, you're going to open a lot of presents. You might not like some of them, but you have to say thank you every time you open the present. And they're like, well, what if it's not a good present? So they wrestle with this. They wrestle with, well, what if it's not good? And as adults, we can relate to this. We can relate to this. There's a lot of times in life where, you know, maybe life exceeds our expectations. Maybe what we think we deserve or what we think we're entitled to is, you know, what we experience in life is far beyond what we think that we should be getting. And so in those situations, it's pretty easy to be thankful because we look at our circumstances and we say, this is good. This is good. I like this. But then there's other times in life where life is below our expectations. It's beneath what we think we're entitled to or what we think we deserve. And so in those situations, a lot of times it doesn't even make sense to be grateful because we don't perceive it as good. And so as we unpack this idea this morning of saying thank you, and we talk through this, we're going to look at two big ideas behind why we say thank you to God. And we're going to see that we say thank you because of the good that God has done for us. And we also say thank you because of the good God is doing for us right now in this situation. These are the reasons we say thank you. So let's start. And we're going to look at thanking God for the good he did. So if you're following along on your outline, the first thing is we thank God for the good he did. And to unpack this, we're going to look at a set of verses in Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul, he wrote the book of Ephesians. It's a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus. And the first three chapters, he goes into great detail on the good that God has done for us. So let's read Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. This is what he says. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, this passage, these five verses, these are really helpful. And there's a lot in here. So we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to unpack this. The first thing he says, he makes a statement. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, what does this mean? He's writing this to people who are physically alive. So this isn't talking about physical death. I mean, he's writing to people who before they came to follow Christ, they could think, they could talk, they could run, they could play. They were active. They were conscious. So this isn't talking about physical death. This is talking about being spiritually dead, being separated from God and unable to connect with him. So, for example, what what does this look like? Well, I've got my phone up here this morning with me. And right now I've got 84 percent battery life left on my phone. So my phone, it's not attached to a power source. It's running on battery power. And eventually the battery is going to run out and the phone's not going to work anymore. But as long as it's running on battery power, I mean, I can I can go on the Internet. I can text. I can make phone calls. My phone still works. So my phone is not dead. It's just running on battery power. And at some point today, I'm going to have to charge it into a power source. But what if I what if I got a pocket knife and on the power port on my phone? What if I mangled the port of my phone? So now my phone can't connect to a power source. Again, it it still works. I can still make phone calls. I can still text. I can still go on the Internet. But eventually when the battery runs out, this phone is no good. It's done because I I can't connect it to a power source anymore. So not only is it on battery power and it's got a short amount of time before it dies, but then when it does run out, it's done. You know, in a similar way, this is how it uh, is with us. We're living living on battery power. Like the verse says, because of our transgressions and sins, we cannot get recharged. We cannot connect to God, our power source. We're all in this life, we're all living on battery power. And if we can't connect to the source, then when the battery power runs out, that separation from God, that's made permanent. That's what this verse is talking about. So it starts with a statement. It says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is a statement. But then it goes on from the statement and it gives a description that's really, really helpful about what life is like when we're spiritually dead. Let me read this again, verses two and three. It says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul lists three things here, three things that are really informative. He says that we followed the way of the world We followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then he says that we were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Three references to following is he gives this description of what life is like when we're spiritually dead. One way to understand this, it was shown to me a couple years ago, is to think of this like water skiing on a lake. Kind of helps explain this. Water skiing, the desires are the skis. 
So that's where we start with. The desires are the skis. It says that we're gratifying our cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So the idea is, is as we go through life, you know, if we start to feel in one direction, well, that's where our desires are headed. So we go in that direction or we start to think another way and then we kind of head off in that direction. Whichever way the skis are pointing, that's the direction that we're going to head in life. So we spend life just following the desires and the, and the thoughts. Now, if you're going to water ski, you need a boat. You can't just ski on your own. The boat that's pulling you is the world. It says in this passage, it says we followed the ways of the world. Now, again, if you're, if you're water skiing, you can express your own individual style as you ski. You can go outside the wake. You know, you can spend some time kind of carving on the wake a little bit. You can go to the other side. You can just stay in the middle and hold on for dear life. You can lift a leg if you want to. You can put a leg back. There's all different styles for skiing. But ultimately, you're going to go where the boat goes. So as this passage explains it, our desires are the skis. And the boat pulling us is the world. But then there's another thing. Every boat needs a driver. The driver of the boat is Satan. That's what the passage is talking about when, this, when the passage says we followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is a reference to Satan. So as we go through life, we're following our desires, we're following our thoughts, kind of whatever comes in my mind, whatever I feel. But ultimately, I'm headed in the direction that the world's going in. I'm following the world. And then there's a leader to that. There's somebody who's in control of that. This is the description of what life is like when someone is spiritually dead. And it's a terrible experience. As somebody goes through life this way, not only are they detached from God, the power source, and unable to connect with him, but as they go through life, their experience is one disappointment after another. The bitterness, the sourness, the, the anger about how life is going, it only grows and increases because the hopes start to rise only to be crushed only for a sudden pain to enter into the situation. When I was growing up, we used to go to the lake and we would we'd water ski and we would tube. And one time we went to the lake and my buddy brought a kneeboard along and I never kneeboarded. So when he brought the kneeboard, I saw him, you know, get on it and do some stuff behind the boat. So I thought, okay, like I want to do this too. So when it was my turn to get out of the boat and get in the water, I, I said, hey, I want to try out the kneeboard. So I get on the kneeboard and I start um, going, I start kind of carving behind the boat. And they, um, they started going faster and I started getting more comfortable. And then one of the things they didn't warn me about is being careful to keep the nose of the board up above the water. So as I'm going and we're going faster and we're having more fun, suddenly without warning, I don't even remember my nose going in, but my nose went in the water and it was like a, in a split second, felt like my body got torn in two and I got punched in the face at the exact same moment. And I don't know if you've ever kneeboarded, but when you're kneeboarding, your body's already compressed. You know, your, your knees are tucked up under you, your hips are bent. So when that nose of the board goes in the water, I mean, it's like your body just gets popped open and then bam, you hit that water. I've never kneeboarded again in my life. It was terrible. It was a horrible, horrible experience. As you read this description by Paul of what life is like when we're spiritually dead, when we're going through life, we are following our desires, following our thoughts, 
following the world. Ultimately, there's a driver of the boat. As we go through life this way, this is similar to what we experience again and again and again. Our hopes start to get up only to be let down. We get excited about the way that life is going. We get excited about what's happening in our life only for us to be led to a place of pain and disappointment. And this happens again and again and again as we go through life. And again, as we do this, we start to get more bitter. We start to get more angry. We start to get sour and negative on how life's going to turn out because our experience is just one of we're getting excited and then it's out of nowhere. Boom. The pain enters in and we're led to a place of despair. And the whole time this is happening, the enemy who's driving the boat, he's leading us closer and closer to an eternity without God. So here's where it gets good, because that's not good. Here's where it gets good. Verses four through five, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. The good God did for us is God made us alive. Jesus the Son came and lived a sinless life, and then he died on the cross to take away the wrath of the Father. And then when he came back to life, he proved that he had the power over sin to give us new life. When the passage says, it is by grace you have been saved, Grace is God doing for you what you could not do for yourself. You were dead, but God took action. You were deserving of wrath, but God had mercy. You were stuck in a pattern of life that would give nothing but broken dreams and disappointments, but because of God's grace and because of his love, he saved you. This is the good that God did. This is the foundation, the starting place for saying thank you. I want to point out one more, one more important thing. Thanking God for the good he did requires memory. If you're going to do this, this requires memory. Notice how Paul starts this passage. Back to verse 1. He says, as for you, you were. And then he makes the statement, and then he gives the description. He's saying, you need to remember this. Don't forget what life was like before Christ. And notice he's talking directly to his audience. He's saying you. So he's talking to you and me. He's not just saying, hey, this is a description of people out there somewhere else. This is a description of you. This is a description of me. So he's saying, don't forget this. Don't forget what your life was like. Don't forget what you're experiencing and what you were headed for. Don't forget what God did for you. If you're going to thank him for the good he did, it requires memory. So that's the first thing. We thank God for the good he did. The second, th the second thing is we say thank you to God for the good he is doing. The good he's doing right now. Now in a room like this this morning, there's a wide range of life experiences that we're going through. For some of you in the room, you are just, you are so high on life, it's not even funny. I mean, for you and what you're experiencing, you don't think life could get any better. Your current circumstances are, they're idyllic. I mean, it's just, this is perfect. Life is perfect right now. Some of you, that's where you're at. There's others in the room and the, the, the 
soul-crushing weight of life has descended on you. And it's like out of nowhere, something has happened that just, it shattered you. So some of you are at the highest high and some of you, this is maybe the lowest point of your life. And then there's a lot of people in the room who life is neither good nor bad, it just is. It's just kind of, you're just kind of hovering in the middle of the experiences of life and it's not up, it's not down, it's just kind of in the middle. Now for me, as I've gone through my life and I've experienced the highs and the lows and the, the middle points, there's been a few verses that have consistently challenged me. And they've both had to do with the idea of giving thanks. The first verse is this, it's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. God's will is for you to give thanks. Now, I've struggled with this verse because there's been times in my life when life has been, it's been bad. It's been hard. I haven't liked the circumstances. So as I've gone through those situations, I've been like, well, there's no way God would want me to give thanks for these things, would he? And so, so I, I, I misunderstood the verse and I took, it, I took it out of context and kind of created a a distorted meaning, and I zoomed in on the word in. And so I thought, well, I'm not thankful for these circumstances, but maybe if I can just find one thing to be thankful for. You know, I'm, I'm not thankful that I'm laying in bed sick. I'm thankful that I have YouTube on my phone so I don't have to lay in bed sick in silence. You know, so it's like, you know, I'm not thankful that my car doesn't work, but I'm sure thankful that the sun's shining. And so it's just like something kind of random or obscure. Or, you know, I'm not thankful for this unwanted thing, but I can find something out there to be thankful for. So I, I really misunderstood the verse. And then I read this second verse, which is incredibly challenging. Ephesians 5.20, it says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what I realized is it's not enough to find one thing to be thankful for. God wants me to thank him for everything. And the hard, unwanted, painful things of life are included in everything. So as I started to wrestle with this, started to think about it, I, I started to think, man, I don't know if that's possible, God. I don't know if it's possible for me to say thank you for everything. And then I started to think, well, if I, even if I try to say thank you, it just feels fake. It feels, it feels like I'm acting. It feels like I'm pretending because I'm really not thankful. And then I started to think, well, it would be like saying thank you in the middle of a country song. You know, it's like my dog died. I lost my job. My wife walked out on me. My truck broke, but boy, I'm thankful. And it's like, nobody does, who does that? This doesn't make any sense. So I really started to wrestle with this idea. How do you thank God for everything? This is really important. Thanking God for the good he is doing requires faith. It requires faith. Because in the moment, you won't feel it. And in the moment, you probably won't be able to see it. And that's why it requires faith. I remember in, um, in sports when I was growing up, running wind sprints. I don't know if you remember wind sprints. They're terrible. They're the worst. You know, it's like down and back, touch the line, do it again. And then they time you the first time you do it. So that then the 10th time you do it, it better be the same speed as the first time. It's like nobody, nobody gets faster as you run wind sprints. I mean, you're, 
your, your chest is burning, your legs are heavy, you get slower. But they're like, no, you got to hit the time. And if you don't hit the time, what do you got to do? You got to do it again. The importance of having a coach who pushes you and develops you was really brought home to me when I was in high school. My sophomore year of high school, we had a coach on my basketball team. And he really pushed us. He pushed us incredibly hard. This team I was on, it was a young team. We were primarily all sophomores. Um, we were raw talent individually. None of us were very good basketball players at the time. It was a really raw team. But this coach came in and he drove us. I mean, it was like, it was regular in preseason where kids would, kids would be throwing up, kids would be getting lightheaded and having to go sit down. He pushed us so hard. That was the most successful team I was ever a part of. Fast forward to my senior year. We got a new coach who came in my senior year. We were much better, same core group of players. We were much better, we were all bigger, we were stronger, we were faster, we had taken more time to develop as basketball players. Much better team as individuals. But our coach, he didn't push us. He didn't make us run. So for a while, we thought we got a good deal. We thought, man, we're just, you know, we're running offenses, we're running defenses, we're running drills, but he's not making us run these wind sprints. Like, we thought we got off easy. But then we would get into the big game and that team would always fall apart. My sophomore year, when we were pushed, when we were developed, we consistently overachieved. My senior year, we had all this potential and we just consistently fell short of what our potential was. And a lot of it, we, we just weren't pushed. We thought we got a good deal because it was all easy, but we would get into those high pressure situations and we weren't ready. We weren't disciplined. There were guys on the team that were out of shape. We weren't ready because we, we hadn't been pushed. We hadn't been trained. We hadn't been developed. Check out what it says in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 7. It says, Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? That's a reference to God. How much more should we submit to God and live? They are earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a time while, we, while they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The word discipline in this passage, it could be translated training. This is training. God puts us through training. He develops us. He prepares us for what's coming, for what's next. And I appreciate the honesty of the passage. The passage starts off and it says, endure hardship as discipline. And then it goes on later in the passage and it says that it's not pleasant, it's painful. It's not easy. Nobody's in the middle of it saying like, man, this is the best thing that I've been through. No, you're being trained, you're being developed, you're being disciplined, you're being pushed, you're experiencing something that you have to endure and endure the right way. But what's God doing in this situation? Like it says, he's doing it for our good. It says he wants us to share in his holiness. The idea is he wants us to experience both this life and the life to come for all that it is. He wants us to get the most out of it. He wants us to be ready and prepared for what's coming. 
So because he cares us, cares for us, he takes the time to train us, to discipline us. It says he wants us to experience a harvest of righteousness and peace. This is what God's doing in the middle of it. This is why we can thank him. You know, when you're playing sports and you've got a coach that pushes you and makes you run, it's awful. It's terrible. It's hard. It's painful. But you can thank that coach because that coach has something bigger in view and is getting you ready for that thing. So instead of just kind of taking it easy and trying to get out of it and, you know, whatever, like faking your way through it, lean into it. Get everything you can out of that so that you're ready for what the coach is preparing you for. It's the same way with God. God will bring and take us through really hard, challenging things in life, but they're not a waste. It's not like life was before when we were attached to the boat of the world, following the ruler of the world, Satan, where it's like he's just bringing pain into our life to bring pain. Now we're following a God who wants to develop us and train us and cares for us and is preparing us for what's next. So, it, so lean into the training. Realize I can grow through this. God's got something in this for me. And so in faith, even though this hurts, even though I don't like this, even though this is unwanted, I can say thank you to God because this doesn't have to be wasted. This is something that he's doing for my good to prepare me for something that's coming. So we can say thank you to God in what we're going through because of the good God is doing in us right now. So those are two things we can thank God for. We can thank God for the good he did, and we can thank him for the good he's doing. Now, I want to do something a little unique this morning, and I want to do three things to help us as a group practice what we just talked about, thanking God for the good he did and thanking him for the good he's doing. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take communion together as a group. And so what communion is, communion is a, a practice that the church has done through the centuries, and it's a way to remember the good God did, the good that Ephesians 2 talks about, where we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his love, he made us alive. It's an opportunity for us to remember that. So I want the ushers to go ahead, come forward. They're going to pass out these little cups. They have the bread and the juice in there, so just grab one. If you have not made a decision to follow Jesus, if you're exploring this or you're on the fence, just let that pass this morning. Don't, don't take this this morning. This is for people who have accepted Jesus's offer and been made alive with him. And so if that's not true of you, then just let this pass. It's no big deal. But this is an opportunity for us that have been made alive in Christ to remember what he did for us. As um, you're taking these, one thing I'd encourage you to do is take a minute and reflect if there's anything in your life that you need to confess to God. If there's any sin, if there's a wrong that you need to confess, maybe, maybe you're struggling with your current circumstances and you're complaining about them instead of thanking God for the good he's doing. And so if that's you, take a minute and just confess that to God and then start to thank him out of faith that you can trust him that he's doing good. So I'm going to give us just a minute and what we're going to do is before we take this, it's going to be quiet in here, but we're going to take a few seconds and I want you to ask God in your heart, God, is there anything that I need to confess to you or is there an area of my life where I maybe need to get back on track with you? So we're going to take just a minute, go ahead and bow your head 
I'm going to do this as a group and then we'll take communion together. In 1 Corinthians 11, this is what Paul wrote down. This is what he received from Jesus. He says, For what I received from the Lord, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we do this, we're remembering the good God has done for us. So let's go ahead on the bottom. You've got the bread. So let's go ahead and peel off the cover of the bread. We'll take the bread first. And when we eat this bread, what we're saying is we're admitting that our only our only chance of being forgiven is because Jesus laid down his life for us and we're accepting his offer to forgive us of our sins. So let's eat this bread together. And go ahead and peel off the juice. And when we drink the juice, what we're saying is we are accepting Jesus's offer of new life. And because he gives us new life, he's now the authority for how we live this life. So when we take this, we're saying, Jesus, I accept your offer. You're my authority as I live life. Let's drink the juice. I'm going to pray, and then we've got two more things to do. Father God, I thank you that though we were dead in our transgressions and sins, you had mercy. You and your grace and your love came to make us alive. So God, as we have taken communion, we remember your kindness and your mercy and your love towards us. We remember what you did, the good you did, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.